Welcome to Inside Groove, the only motorsports show where super modifieds are king, methanol is aromatic, and the drivers carry their balls in a bag. Inside Groove is powered by IPC Indy, creating performance parts and solutions for the automotive, aerospace, and communications industries. Here's your host and fellow superholic, Tom Baker. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Inside Groove Super Modified Podcast. This is our first podcast of the 2023 calendar year. It is episode number 110, and this has actually been in the making for quite some time. We we originally um, had this just about finished prior to the Christmas holiday, but... Um, Unfortunately, we had a technical difficulty with uh, a couple of the segments that we couldn't just couldn't fix. And so then I had to go to Daytona to uh, uh, work the WK Daytona Kart Week down there. So just getting kind of back to it and looking forward to a big year. I think you're going to really enjoy this first show. My name is Tom Baker, by the way, if you haven't listened to any of these other shows, why not uh, go back and check them out? Uh, they're all great shows. We uh, we have awesome guests on these shows. Supermodifieds are, uh, to me, the most exciting short track racing car on the planet. And so um, a lot of uh, heroes and great stories over the years that we've done this, so uh, go back and uh, catch up on steeringwheelnation.com. Just look on the homepage for the Inside Group player, and um, you can click on that. Just scroll back and um, play whatever episode that you're looking for. So um, this episode, as I said, it's episode 110. Now, there's a unique feature. Again, if you're new to this show, there's a unique feature that we've been doing since episode 36 that um, is called What's in a Number, and we go back as far in time as we can and look at the relevancy of the episode number to super modified racing and the Oswego Speedway. So here's how, what that looks like. When we did episode 36, we looked at the number 36, who drove it, what the significance was, all of that 37, 38 on and on. We got to 99 and then um, I kind of thought we were done and <laughs> Super fan Robert Metcalf comes up with the idea that, well, if you're going to episode 100, you skipped numbers double zero through 35. So why don't you just basically take the, the last two digits of the episode number and continue on with the theme? And I said, well, that's a great idea. Well, that worked fine until now. See, because the problem is we did double zero through zero nine, um, and then we got to, we had episode 109, we did the 09. Now we got to 110. Here's the problem. The next episode is 111. So that means that if if I don't do number one and number 10 in this episode, then we go on to 11, we've just skipped 10. See? So... Now we've created the quandary that Robert Metcalf, this is all his fault. The quandary that he created here is that now for uh, a few shows, at least we're going to have to do two um, episodes or two uh, what's in the numbers. We're going to have to do two numbers in order to stay on top of it, or we're going to, we're going to skip some. So we don't want to do that. So we're going to do two 
Uh, and so that this is, uh, the shows are going to get longer for a little while, folks. So you might want to, um, pour a, an extra cup of coffee or your favorite beverage and sit back and enjoy because you're going to get the number one today and the number 10. Now our featured guest today is John Nicotra and folks, this interview is awesome. I had so much fun. We talked about the series, of course, that John has and its expansion. We talked a little bit about Isman MSS, but then we got into some John Nicotra racing stories and names like Bentley and Hevron and Stewart started popping up. So you're not going to want to miss that. So John is our featured guest. Uh, so we're going to uh, proceed forth with that here in just a moment. Um, I first, though, want to say thank you again, as always, to uh, those who help to support this show. Uh, Jeff West and IPC Indy um, hope to get him on the show here in January. Also, uh, I want to thank Rich Worth, JNS Paving, and of course, um, gosh, Sean Cathcart. And I keep wanting to say Skips Fish Fry and Doggone. I'm going to keep saying it. I know that the main location is now closed. And honestly, that just breaks my heart, but, um, it's the, the name lives on in the mo in mobile, mobile food truck form. So, um, and, and of course he's got LaGroff's pub, which is just amazing. I had no idea the menu that he had there at the pub, but, um, he's got that going and we'll tell you about that a little later on too. So, uh, thanks to Sean Cathcart and his team for their ongoing support as well. And Happy New Year to all of you, by the way. I hope that uh, you and your families had a Merry Christmas and Happy New Year and are um, safe and well and warm uh, wherever that you are while you're listening to the show. So uh, we're going to immediately call halt to this opening segment and step aside because we've got a lot to do on this show. We've got two what's in the numbers. Um, we are not going to do a 72 season rewind on this show. We're just we'll bring that back next week. We've just got so much going on here that um, I don't want to. Uh, this could be a four-hour show if I <laughs> if I let it, and uh, I don't think anybody needs to hear four hours, mostly of me. So we're going to try to balance this out a little bit. We're going to step aside when we come back. John Nicotra is going to be joining us, um, and uh, I know that uh, you're going to enjoy that. So stick around. Inside Groove is just getting started. We'll be back with John Nicotra right after this. Okay, folks, I want to tell you about one of our sponsors here on Inside Groove, Indie Performance Composites. They're a premier composite design and manufacturing company creating performance parts and solutions for the automotive, aerospace, and communications industries. Jeff West and his team are amazing. They do all kinds of work in the motorsports industry from dirt tracks to NASCAR to IndyCar, super modifieds. It doesn't matter if you've got something that you need designed or fabricated. Let them help you transform your idea, your vision and your budget into a workable, high performance solution. They have all kinds of services from 3D printing to finishing services, end-to-end -end composite solutions is what they are. Check them out, ipcindy.com or indieperformancecompositesinc.com and tell them 
that the folks from Inside Groove sent you. Welcome back to the Inside Groove as we kick off 2023 and we have our special guest lined up now john nicotra with us on the hotline and uh happy to have him with us uh of course john has just done so much uh over a lot of years for super modified racers and racing period um and continues to and this year even escalating his involvement more uh, with regard to his series that he started last year. So, John, first of all, Happy New Year. It is uh, encouraging to hear that your health is improving. Uh, that's the first thing we want to talk about here. How are you doing, man? I'm doing good. You know, Happy New Year to you as well and all your listeners. And, uh, yeah, happy to be happy to be starting another year. Yeah, I bet. Uh, that was kind of a, I know that was sort of a uh, sudden stop, if you will, for you that you weren't expecting. Uh, but yeah. uh, glad to hear that uh, you're on the mend and we look forward to seeing you at the track when the time comes. Okay, so let's talk about your series a little bit. So okay. last year you had three races um, and they were all top wing races and uh it actually worked out you had uh car counts in the mid 20s and some i mean the racing i thought was fantastic um in in the in in the races that you had so this year you decided to expand the series you worked with you're working with uh uh, John and Eric at Oswego, and it's now a five-race series that includes the Champagne Memorial and also uh, the Granddaddy, the International Classic. Um, those two will be tailwing races, which sort of brings a little interesting twist to this. So let's let's start with that first, and then we'll talk about the whole sort of ISMA MSS schedule thing that kind of opened up a lot of doors. But let's uh, let's start with first why. Why go to five races and why the two tailwing races and how do you think that's going to affect the dynamic of the overall series? Because obviously if you're going to win the whole thing, you're probably going to have to run all five of those races. Well, I think, you know, if you're a super modified fan and uh, as you know, we all are, the International Classic at Oswego is the granddaddy of them all. And, you know, with the, the car counts, the way they've been falling, you know, over the last few years. Yeah. Uh, you know, it'd be nice if we could figure out how to make the classic. Uh, number one, save the classic. Number two, make it a bigger and better event. And the only way that you have a chance to do that is, you know, one, you got to put the purse up. Right. And two, you got to have cars. And, uh, and that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to help super modifieds in general. Uh, we have a few guys that are going to try the uh, classic I've talked to. And Good. some will, I think, will come to the Champagne as well. Uh, I know uh, Johnny and Eric and uh, Chuck Hanley are working on, you know, the, the non-wing races as far as, you know, purse structure and what have you. Uh, the three wing shows, the purse structure is in place already, and we will have the $25,000 point fund Nice. after those five events uh, for the top ten. The winner will receive uh, 5000 which is 1000 per race. And uh, I think ninth uh, and 10th pay like 1600 each. So wow. it breaks down, nice. uh, you know, seconds, 3,500. I posted it uh, on a uh, Facebook post the other day. So people can see the, uh, the point fund amount and the purses for the uh, wing shows. And like I say, I know Johnny and Eric and Chuck are 
and even myself are working on more and more as we move forward in hopes to, you know, solidify the purse that, you know, for classic or champagne or what have you. I mean, you know, we are talking to some people and, you know, it's, it's a work in progress like anything else. Uh, but you know, things seem to be moving forward. Well, that's great. That's uh, it's really good to hear. And I think one of the things that that has made um, maybe made things a little easier uh, is the scheduling this year. Because I think the other uh, big news of the last month or so has been that uh, Isma and MSS have gotten together, and they are running basically one schedule of races. Um, I guess it's still a co-promotion, but it's one schedule, which really makes, to me, makes a lot of sense and opens the door now because it frees anybody of conflicts in scheduling. It opens the door, I think, for a lot more movement in terms of if somebody wants to come and run a Swiggo and run your series, um, they don't have to worry about any, you know, any conflicts with ISMA or MSS shows. This is, I think, a great thing. Well, I mean... uh... I've been preaching for a while that we need one series, you know, as far as the ISMA and the MSS are concerned. Yeah, we all have. Because you can't have, you can't split up the car counts the way they are today. Right. And you can't sell a series to a a, a title sponsor with, you know, 14 cars or 16 cars or 10 cars. You got to have a, a package that looks attractive to hopefully landing uh, a major sponsor where this thing could, you know, have a three-year deal in place where guys can build cars and run for the kind of purses that it takes to survive this, the sport that we all love. Right. Um, so, I mean, I told uh, Lori May and them, and I told Danny Sewell and, and, and Chuck, I says, to me, my opinion, the m- most important thing moving forward from last year was scheduling. If you're not going to schedule correctly, you have zero chance of landing anything. Yeah, so I agree. In my opinion, scheduling was number one importance, and the number two importance is money. If you can't fix one and two, you don't have to worry about number three because it, it won't survive. Well, I, yeah, see, I agree with both of those because, you know, it, it, at the end of the day, the schedule just splits. If you have a conflict – uh, where you have a show here and a show there on the same weekend, you're splitting the field no matter how you look at it. And there aren't enough cars um, anymore that are active that, that people are actually racing to um, to be able to do that. You end up with 12 or 13 cars, um, and that's just, you know, that's not ideal. It's not what anybody wants. Um, so in order to build the car counts back up, making the schedule kind of, unison where you you can you could attend every race if you chose to makes it easier now and like you said from a sponsorship standpoint um you know you're coming closer to a a basically a unified series again uh and you know i think that uh that's where you got to go with this and then obviously um you know the dollars are the dollars it costs what it costs to race a super modified and um it's very it's you know it's expensive to do that so you've got to be able to generate those those dollars back to to make the purses what they need to be so um first first step to that would be let's make sure that we can open up every race to every car if they wanted right. they want to go right yeah 
Well, you know, it's not a guarantee that you're going to find a sponsor, but right. I can guarantee you you're not going to find I one was gonna say, if you right. don't get together. It's the only shot you have. You know, it's the only shot you have. Right. And you know what? It might not happen this year. It still might happen this year. But if you could build on what we've started now. Right. And then you go to, say you get 18 or 20 cars at every show or you know, or more. Now you can go to a sponsor and say, look, we put our a series together. We got one schedule, one point fund, and we got the Oswego Speedway as well for uh, non-wing events. Can we put some kind of title sponsorship together? Right. Do you want to get on board? We got 12 races around the country with 18 or 20 cars in this. You know, to promote good racing, you got to have a decently full field because if you don't have lap traffic, it's a parade. Well, These cars right. are so yeah. fast, yeah. whether it's non-wing, You're right. wing, midget, sprint car, it doesn't matter. Everything's so fast that if you only got 10 or 12 cars, it turns into a parade. So nobody really likes a parade. You can go to the 4th of July uh, downtown <laughs> and see a parade. So you got to have 18, 20 cars, 24 cars, and it, it doesn't matter how fast they are at that point. You will have traffic. You'll have lap traffic. You'll have one guy uh, handling a little better than the next guy. And that's what makes good racing. Well, I agree 100%. That's uh, that's the best recipe you can have, um, and especially if you're going to go out of town and, and you're going to go to a track that isn't familiar with the Supers. You've got to have a good field of cars, and you've got to pre-hype it. Um, you know, and, and really build your stars again, like we used to, to where when, you know, when, when Jimmy Champagne would go to new England and race, that was a big deal because everybody knew that Jimmy was the King of Oswego when Ollie Silva or Don McLaren or whoever would come from new England to race Oswego. We all thought they were larger than life because we knew they were the Kings of new England and they all had nicknames and all of that. Right. We were, um, it's, um, so that those are the things that I think and 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 obviously the scheduling's first because you got to be able to to have the cars to run the shows and so yeah I think I mean there's been a lot of encouraging news in this off season so far um and and I I think it definitely sets the right direction um and you know it's it's like i i think it's an interesting twist putting the champagne and the classic into your series because again it it forces you to kind of run both set up the top wing and the tail wing if we're not going to be able to agree on one then you know i think let's let's mix it up and 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 force guys to have to run both because that way I think too. In in some ways, you 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 kind of get a better result that way because you you find out, you know, who's capable of running both equally well. I mean, it's a it's 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 uh, it's not a huge change from one to the other, but it seems to be enough that, you know, some people still feel like they want a second car for it. So, um, I think it just adds an interesting dimension to to your series, uh, and, and creates uh, something for for us media types to talk about. I guess. You know, a lot of guys want to run the classic. You know, it's it's you know, like you say, they need a car, they need the time to do it. Yeah. They, you know, we're going to have a one day event this this coming, which is uh, also classic. huge. It's going yes. to be time trial on yes. Sunday morning, run classic on Sunday afternoon. So some of these out of town uh, participants that can come in, they don't have to have a motel for three nights for right. for eight people or what have you. You know, they can come in if they want to do it and do it. I think we got to uh, we do have to work on the. Uh, 
classic purse would be a big help. And then if you do want to run the classic and you haven't run it in quite a while, um, the champagne would be a good uh, time to Come you know, test. get dialed in somewhat. Yep. It's a 75-lap race. And not only does it t- uh, get you a little tuned in for the classic, but it keeps you in that five-race point fund if you're running the wing shows. Right. So, yep. I mean, it's it's just all theory. It's all, you know, let's play this game or let's play that game. Whatever it is, it is, you know, we're going to – we do the best we can, and uh, and that's all we can do. Well, I think it's a place to start, um, you know, certainly. And, and I think your series was hugely successful as far as um, – you know, showing that we can have good racing and we, you know, obviously it was a great boon to Oswego's schedule. And um, I think it paved the way, honestly, for a lot of what we're seeing now going into 23. Um, and and so, you know, I think I think it it's definitely a great idea. It's just, as you say, you got to build on it each year. And, uh, you know, the drivers have got to want it, the, the, you know, the, the, the tracks and, you know, people involved in the series have got to want it. Everybody's got to, got to do their part. Um, but it, it seems like we're headed in a, in a good direction. Now I I know people are going to want to know. So, um, how much I know we're going to see Allison slowed on a regular basis at Oswego again, which is great. We, we love Allison and, and she, she's such a, um, a nice addition to the to the field, both as a driver and just as um, a personality. Uh, how much will we see Otto? What's what's yeah. the schedule for Otto? That's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> that question will be answered week by week. Okay. You know, uh, um, you know, we really, you know, we of course we want to get going and see how things uh, start out. And, yeah. And we'll take it like that uh, for a while. I mean. Otto will run the uh, the Champagne and the Classic. Okay. And uh, the three wing races at Oswego. And those are pretty much penciled in for sure. Okay. And uh, as long as we got a car and a motor. So, <laughs> but uh, um, a- anything after that is really kind of up in the air. You know, that's kind of up to Otto. It depends on how uh, things are going with Allison's deal because Otto will be maintaining her car. Gotcha. And, uh, and if she has a clean week and he has a clean week, he's told me that, you know, he will probably run. If things go well, he'll probably run quite a few non-wing shows at Oswego. He's going to be there anyway with her. Right. And uh, and that's uh, strictly up to him. If he wants to run, we'll run. If he doesn't want to run, we won't run. Um, and as far as the wing trail goes, you know, I, you know, I want to do them all because it's really not that much traveling. But, you know, that's going to be up to Otto and, and how the racing goes to the week prior to the following event. Okay. All right. So um, Otto is definite for five shows and maybe for the rest is basically how we'll leave it uh, pending. At a swiggle, yeah. yeah. That would be like a question mark. Right. And then I know he wants to run Sandusky. I think he'll probably go to Lorraine. Sweet. Um you know, I know I'm pretty sure Star is going to be on the schedule here. We're going to oh, Danny's gosh. working on uh, solidifying that up here. Your hopefully lips soon to God's this week. Ears. So, and uh, I think he'll definitely do Star because I mean, he's had fast time there the last three years in a row. Yeah. And, uh, one time we had to leave because of his son's wedding, and then one time he had too much <laughs> stagger, and the other time he didn't have enough stagger, but. If we ever hit the stagger right, I think we'll have a a good car because it's really fast there, but uh, we haven't hit the setup yet. 
when his son went to get married, did he not realize there was a, a classic race that weekend? Like, of, well, there's 51 I mean, he, other he weekends. He put the wedding to Sunday. We were supposed to race on Saturday night. <laughs> oh, okay. I got you. And then it got rained, rained out. out. Okay. Got you. And then Bobby Weber, uh, <laughs> when I told him we couldn't make the Sunday show, I said, if you move it to, because the, they were going to do it later in the day, I go, if you move it to first thing, we'll try to do it. So he said, okay, we'll run the feature first thing. So we go there Sunday, and, uh, you know, it, it was a little delayed, but we got going, and then right away there was a big uh, oil uh, oh, leak, and it went red for like half an hour. And uh, it was funny because I was sitting on a track under the red, and I'm, and I'm trying to find a helicopter. Oh. <laughs> I've ta- I, and I'm sitting, I, I'm, go- I'm in the grandstands, I'm going, Damn, son of a gun. You know, a guy sitting next to me goes, what's the matter? I got, Otto's got a wedding. I says, I tried to get a helicopter. I can't find one. He goes, I got one. Oh, boy. He goes, my daughter works for a helicopter deal. He's like, I said, call her up. Next thing you know, I'm in the grandstand sitting by a stranger I don't even know. His daughter works for a helicopter service. Now we go back and forth. Like I say, it was about a 20-minute red or 30-minute. or Okay. I get the helicopter. I get a price. I get. I call Bobby Weber. He says you can land in the infield. You can pick. Everything's set. Okay. I'm getting ready to run down and tell Otto what's going on. And as soon as I got up, they started pushing the cars off. Oh. And uh, <laughs> I uh, and Otto came straight to the pits because his his head wasn't in it. He had to go home. You know what I mean? Yeah. He pulls into the pit and, and I run up to the car. I go. I got a helicopter. You know, I, I said, we, I can fly you right to the wedding, right after. He goes, he goes ah, you know, now I'm in the pits. I got to go to the rear. But my head ain't in it. So oh, he left, and uh, I tried to put, uh, oh, shit, I can't even. I tried to put, uh, oh, he drives a 14-350. Jeffrey Battle. Battle, yeah. We set him in there, and uh, uh, we got him, you know, in the cockpit. I was going to let him go out and finish the race. And I told him, I go, Jeffrey, I go, go out there, you know, run the car, you know, you're down a little bit. Don't go crazy. If you don't feel comfortable, bring it in. You know, this is, you know, yeah. He goes, Johnny, he goes, my feet don't fit. I was going to say, cause yeah, there's a slight difference in size. Between yeah. Jeffrey yeah. It was and all kind Otto. of quick, <laughs> quick action. We were doing there and, and he was in there and he says, I can't do it. He's, I'm, you know, not that he was scared, but he didn't want to well, go out there in the middle of the race, sure. uncomfortable cockpit, right. his feet don't fit. Right. You know, he, he, you know, he knows the car is pretty good and he just, you know, we'll, we'll do it another day maybe, you know? So he, he got out and the smart kid that he is, he got out and, uh, and that's it. We loaded up and we all left. Oh man. So two things that I think about from that story Number one, it would be awesome to see Jeffrey battle in that car at some point. Um, number two, uh, under things you did not expect to hear on Inside Groove, John Nicotra getting a helicopter in the middle of a race to get Otto back for a wedding. Yeah, that, that was pretty funny. That is only, uh, that could only happen in motorsports. You're not yeah. seeing that in the middle of a football game, folks. Yeah. Um, the rain delay in motorsports. It was a, I got a price of 4000 
Oh. I go, well, if we do good, yeah. you know, we won't yeah. lose that we much. Lose you know, that so much. I mean, I told the guy, I go, listen, just give me a few. I mean, I, I says, hold on. I mean, I didn't, I didn't tell him to send it. Yeah. I says, let me confirm it with Otto, you know, yeah. blah, blah, blah. And like I say, then oh. they pushed the cars off and he parked it. And I went back, told the guy, uh, too late. You know, we didn't, I didn't get it together quick enough. So. Too bad old Bentley still didn't have his. See, that would have yeah. been perfect, <laughs> yeah. right? He, yeah. he, you know, he doesn't even, he didn't even care about flight plans. Just, yeah, I'll be there in half an hour. You know, oh yeah, um, oh yeah. I, yeah. I was involved with some of his helicopter uh, uh, escapades over there. Me and Havron went out there. Oh, oh okay. Tell and, us uh, this story. We got to know he's this. Taking, he got the helicopter in the backyard, and they're taking off and going, going underneath the the power lines. And I mean, the, oh, Bentley was out of control. <laughs> well, but you get him and Havron together. I mean, oh that's, yeah. That's yeah, for sure. You know, if if any of you have ever watched the Blues Brothers movie, that's the kind of mayhem that happens yeah. when Bentley and Doug get together. <laughs> that was a fun time, you know. Uh, you know, I was with Hevron and when he was with Bentley quite a bit there in the in the early eighties, and yeah. and uh, we spent a lot of time. You know, we had cookouts out at the house, and oh yeah, that and, was. And we had a lot of fun, a lot of fun with Bentley and Doug. Those were uh, the cookouts. I had never had the opportunity to get to one, but my, my brother did. And I've heard all the stories about Bentley's infamous cookouts. Uh, yeah. And we uh, had one at Doug's house one time and uh, we Bentley landed the helicopter at the house and okay. Doug had the, the modified in the yard out in the front yard. So when people come in, it was all beautiful red modified yeah. sitting out in the grass and everything. So the party gets over and uh, Tom, that uh, Doug's dad says, "Get the car, bring it in, right?" Oh, Doug, he gets out there, cranks it up, drives it in, and the oil pan hits the driveway and and cuts a hole in the uh, oh, oil no. pan. And he left. He basically left an oil trail from the front yard right to the garage. I mean, just <laughs> you know, just trying to park it, we Oops. got in trouble. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so we had a lot of escapades with Doug. He was. He was something else in those early days, boy. Oh, he still is. He hasn't yeah. changed that much. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He's just gotten older. That's all. He's yeah. still Doug. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you and I were talking before about Tony Stewart, and I know you've got a few Tony stories you can tell, and I figured since we just got done with one of Tony's favorite events, um, it, the the indoor uh, deal New Year's Eve that he runs, um Talk a little bit about uh, Tony and, and your history with him, because it just amazes me the people you know. And, and Tony, you know, again, like Bentley or like Haveron, you know, Tony Stewart is a walking comedy book of, of stories, not all of he's which can rare, be told by the PG-13 show. Yes. I go way back with Tony and, and had a lot of fun with Tony. And, uh, you know, I, actually, right before I had my heart surgery, I hadn't seen him since before COVID. I never met his wife. Oh, wow. So we finally got our schedules together, and I spent two weeks with Tony right before I went to uh, the oh, Mayo cool. Clinic for checkup. Nice. And I went all over. We flew, hell, we flew from one coast to the other about three times in two weeks. I mean, we had we were everywhere, from Lake Havasu to North Carolina, back to Texas. And, you know, it, it was a, a fun time, you know, to get back reacquainted with him. I stayed with him at his house for a few days in between the trips and, met his wife and went to the drag races in Texas. And uh, he gave me a two seater ride in a cup car, at Texas motor speedway. He had a fundraiser there uh, early in the two week period. I was with him. And after he got done with, it was a charity deal. 
And after he got done with all the charity deal, he's he calls me banana. He goes, get in, banana. And it was nighttime, <laughs> and it was, you know, the, the rides were finished, and the truck, the track had a lot of grip and everything. He's, we're going to roll. He told me, he said, we're going to roll. And, uh, you know, they got a video camera in your face for all these people that were doing the charity ride, and uh, they took a video camera. And, and I'm telling you what, you know, knowing that I had the Widowmaker, I'm surprised I didn't uh, drop right there in the, in the passenger seat because he scared <laughs> the hell out of me, you know, wow. you know, Texas motor speedways, fast track. And I mean, he was giving it to me, you know, I mean, we, we were going into turn three at, at 180. Oh my. And I'm telling you right now, man, I, I, it was, I was, it was fun and he was trying to, you know, give me a good ride. But I was glad when it was over. <laughs> but you know, I got some great stories. Uh, one of the one of the neatest stories with Tony and I is like uh, we were at Indy for the Brickyard, and he had a suite and turn two for his family and friends. And I happened to be a uh, golf cart driver for Tony that weekend, right? So uh, okay, he uh, he's leading the race, and uh, I take him in the morning. I pick him. I'm, so I'm I'm all with him all the whole whole day, right? So now I'm in the turn two suite with his mother, father, friends, right. Johnny Morris from uh, Bass Pro. Everybody's over there, and uh, and you know I'm I'm signed to Tony, so I got to get back. You know, no matter what, if he win, lose, or draw, I got to go pick him up. So I hate to leave because he's leading. You know, I don't want to jinx him. I go, but I says, man, I got to go. And uh, oh, Johnny Morris tells me, he goes, hey, if, if, if when you go, can I ride with you? You know, like, I don't even, you know, I go, yeah, but I'm getting ready to leave right now. If you want to roll, let's roll. So he, I take Johnny Morris with me, and we go back over there. Tony wins the race, and uh, we get the trophy. And then, you know, it turns into a long, drawn-out deal. Uh, we end up in uh, media in the pagoda there in the media section. And then we're in, the, it's nighttime now. It's dark. All the people are gone. Uh, all the, all the fans are gone and, and it's taking forever. Tony's still in his driver's suit and, uh, you know, we're carrying the trophy around and he goes, banana. He goes, take the trophy to the suite, drop it off and then come right back. So man, I'm half drunk, you know, drinking <laughs> beers after the victory. And I got this trophy in the golf cart and I'm running it over to the turn two suites. I take it up to the family and friends, drop it off, go back, get back up in the media with Tony, and uh, still going on, interviews, blah, blah, blah. So I call my buddy who, uh, you know, the yellow shirts had basically locked everything up. Pit lane was closed. Everything was dark. Oh, wow. The only thing lit up was the pagoda. Wow. So I call my buddy, Mel, and he, he basically ran the speedway. And I call Mel and I go on, the, on. I didn't tell Tony. I said, Mel, we're getting ready to leave the uh, media. I go, I want you to get that yellow shirt to open the gate. I said, I want to go out on pit lane. He goes, what are you, what are you, what are you doing? I said, I'm going to take Tony out there before we go back to the suite. So he, un he gets the yellow shirts, unlock the gate. So we're getting ready. We're finished the, uh, at the media thing and we're getting ready to go to the suite. So I get rolling on the golf cart, and the suite's to the right, and I turn left. Oh, boy. And Tony goes, where are you going, banana? I go, hang on a second. Right? I go through the gate. I get out on the front straightaway at the speedway. It's Tony had just won the first brickyard he had. Everybody's gone. 
it's completely dark and quiet. And and there's four of us on the golf cart. We go out there and we sit quietly for a few minutes. And you know, number twenty was at the top of the pylon. And oh, you talk about awesome. a moment. I bet. That was so special. You know, I mean, uh, he he talked about it in the newspaper like the next day that, you know, we went out there and and it was so special. Just go out there, nobody there. Just the four of us on that golf cart. Just look up, see his number at the yep. top. Yeah. So wow. that was a very special moment. You know, then we went back to uh, the suite. We had a big party that night. We we go to Rick's Boatyard and uh, I had a I had a souped up rent a car. I forget what it was. It's some kind of Pontiac. And uh, we get to Rick's and it's completely the parking lot full. Right. We don't even know where to park. So Tony, he jumps in my car. <clears throat> and uh, he floors that thing, and he drifts around the whole parking lot sideways, like he did a lap around the parking lot, and cars are on both sides of him, and he's got that thing sideways, smoking the tires, and he comes back towards the front door and locks the brakes up, and it's right in the middle of the driveway sideways at the front door. <laughs> he jumps out. He goes, "It's parked," <laughs> and we left it there the whole t- the whole time, right there. Oh, we come out hours gosh. later, and the car's sideways in the parking lot, right there. You know, That's that, that was a fun uh, fun night for sure. When he won his first brickyard, you know, you hear stories like that, and I, I mean, that's what makes the sport fun, right? It's, yeah, it, yeah. You know, the personalities yeah. that that like Tony has Bentley has those, you know, these drivers, Schrader's another one. I mean, these, these guys just, you know, the things you, that they, they do that you, you know, we never get away with. Right. But, no, you know, it's, it's <laughs> just, it's just a crazy time. One time uh, uh, I could never really go to Daytona a lot when I was busy with the produce deal. Right. It was, Cause you know, back then, you know, you had to get your credentials two weeks ahead of time and I didn't really want to get, a credential from somebody and then not be able to go. So I was always last minute. Right. So I called Tony one time. I go, man, I, I think I can get away for, for Saturday and Sunday. He goes, all right, well, come on up. So, uh, I, uh, I, I leave, I leave Homestead Saturday morning and I know the race, the bush race starts at one or so. So I don't want to get there till about one thirty. Cause then oh, okay. I can go straight to the credential, get my stuff and uh and get in without a big hassle so i i do it i get there i drive straight to daytona okay i go to the credential i get my credential i go to the infield i go to tony's bus and he's leading the race oh wow about you know whatever it took you know an hour later he wins it and we're going to victory lane there you go so i mean i drove straight from homestead Straight to victory straight lane. Straight to victory lane at, at Daytona. <laughs> and, you know, Tony's laughing, and he and he puts his arm around me. He goes, banana. He says, you stick with me. He says, I'll keep you in victory lane. <laughs> and, uh, and and it's happened. You know, it's happened so many times. I was with him when he won his first outlaw uh, feature at Oswegan. Pushed him off to go get his first outlaw win. Oh, wow. Uh, I was with him at, with his first IndyCar win. And, uh you know, at Homestead, his rookie year, he won three races. He had won two coming into Homestead, and Homestead was the last race. He used to stay at my house in Homestead sometimes, and we get ready to do the race, and I said, Tony, there was the inaugural event. 
Okay. Was, at Homestead. Okay. I go, Tony, if you win, because we used to always joke around. He says, if I win, I'll give you the helmet. Or I'll do when we were doing the IndyCar stuff. And uh, he goes, I said, what, if you win, what do I get? He says, if, if I win the race, he says, I'll give you the gloves. Well, he wins the race. And he gives me the gloves in victory lane. Wow. Do you still have them? I got them, you know, in, in awesome. my office, right? Nice. So the next year comes, and it's the second year. I go, Tony, what do, you, what do I get if you win this year? He says, if I win this year, I'll give you the shoes. He wins again. I get the shoes in victory lane. <laughs> so, I mean, those are some of my collection stuff. And I told Tony, I go, you know what? Those are for, those are for you. When I when I pass on, I'm sending them back to you, for your you know museum or what have you. You know yeah. he's got a lot of stuff, and uh, it's crazy, man. The, the the stories that uh, you know. Well, you've been you've been to Indy several times, and you were you weren't you a part of the whole Joe Gozik deal in some way or yeah, no? Yeah, okay. I got Joe. I got Joe his his ride with uh, Bill Tempero, a test. Okay. I got him tasked with Bill Tempero, and next thing you know, they put a deal. This was out west. I think they went to Vegas and did it. He could. I tried to get him, Joe, to come to Phoenix. Okay. While the race was on, but he couldn't make it. Okay. And then so they set up a thing to test. I think it was at the Bull Ring in Vegas. And then uh, next thing you know, they got a deal set up for Indy. So yeah, I was part of that, you know. And and then I kept. Uh, trying to get a, a better ride for Joe because the ride wasn't too good. It was right. pretty bad. And, uh, you know, I was in Foyt's ear and I was in Tony George's ear and, and uh, ultimately Tony George got him a deal. And, and then, uh, you know, Foyt put uh, Billy Boat in. And then when Joe qualified for that, his 500, he bumped Billy Boat out. Well, see, and, uh, AJ should have listened. Pardon? AJ should have listened to you. Yeah, he should have listened. See? He missed out. He could have had yeah. double O Joe in the Indy 500, and instead right. he, he got well, another another <laughs> quick thing to, uh, with Tony. One time we were at Charlotte, right? Yeah, and uh, he had his own helicopter at this time. Oh and wow! So we get we helicopter in to the race. It was a night race at Charlotte, and uh, we helicopter in. We got golf cart over to the car. Blah blah blah. He wins the race that night. It, you know, so now it's it's a night race to begin with. By the time we get done with the media. And all this, uh, it's late, like like it like at the brickyard. Everybody's gone. Yeah, you know. So me and Tony, well, Tony and I, we uh, we get ready to go go home. So it's Tony and I and the trophy. Oh That's wow! That's it. And and we go to the helicopter and the pilot's there and and we get he gets in the front, and I get in the back. I got the trophy and and uh we get we take off and you know tony's on the headset you know we're on the headset he goes hey banana he goes you mind if i fly the helicopter i go hell no i don't care what, what you do i go i says no matter what happens we got the trophy <laughs> yeah, i go right. you know if anything happens we'll have the trophy in the rubble <laughs> he goes well i don't want to do it i know i don't want to do it either but we got the trophy got any how how else you gonna go better than that's that? right yeah just just uh <laughs> just dig put some dirt over the top of us and we're good right yeah oh, we had man. a lot of fun the helicopter was a, a trip though i mean i had quite a few helicopter rides and uh, truthfully i think i'm done with helicopters yeah you know, and he's, uh, yeah, I'm not sure. Tony's be... pilot, uh, helicopter pilot, he was a good guy. He he died in the Hendricks plane crash. 
Oh man, that's too bad. And he was a good guy. He was a trainer, and and he was very very good guy. And uh, early in his uh, career with Tony, uh, as as Tony's pilot, we took a flight one time from Indianapolis to St. Louis. Okay. And it was uh, uh, he was very he was new with Tony, and uh, we that was like I think it was I want to say it was a two hour trip. You know, it was, we went to uh, Kenny Schrader's track, I fifty five. Okay, I'm Peevely. So, yeah. so Tony's flying the helicopter with the trainer up front. And uh, the trainer tells Tony, we're getting into the speedway area. And, Tony, and he tells Tony, he goes, look, Tony, he goes, here's the track. Circle the track. Look at, see where you're going to land. Look for the wires. Look for this. You know, make a lap around. Look where you're going. See, so anyway, <clears throat> Tony laps around the track. And, and uh, we see where we're going to land. And. We get ready to come in there, and the, the helicopter starts rocking back and forth, like left to right, left to right. Pretty, pretty, pretty shaky, right? <laughs> and uh, Tony tells the guy, he says, "You got it, you got it, you got it." So the guy got it. Uh, I forget his name, <laughs> and, uh, but I, uh, uh, so the pilot landed the helicopter, and uh, we get out, and I go over to him. I go, "Look," I says. I know you're new with Tony. I go, but let me let me tell you. Let me give you a little hint. When he says you got it, you got it. That means he ain't got it. Right. Exactly. So get it. Yeah. Get it. Yeah. <laughs> Just say yes and take over. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. Yeah. Wow. Well, you know, again, it's just um, it's great hearing those stories because that's. I mean. I think we, you know, and even look, uh, I mean, the the last few days, even this week, I mean, we've we've just had some tragedy in the sports world. Yeah. And yeah. I think it reminds us all that these 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 stars that we make in our minds, you know, these these bigger than life stars, athletes, whatever, are still people. And they're, yeah, they're oh, yeah. And, no, definitely. you know, yeah. and yeah. and I think when you when when you get into stories like this, this is why I do what I do. I know it's why you do what you do. It's all about the people and the family and the lifestyle yeah. and the personalities and the fun. That's what it's the all about. Experiences you have along the way, yeah. you know. Uh, when I was with Tony a few weeks before the uh, surgery, I I was there quite a bit. You know, we the trip kept getting longer and longer. I didn't care. I didn't have anywhere to go. I said I'm good wherever. No, we go here, go there. We extended it two more days, four more days, three more days. We're going to Lake Havasu. We're so I get, <laughs> we get back to Tony's house, and I pack my bag in the morning. I put it in my Tahoe, and I'm like, I'm going to leave that day. And he said, Banana, you can't go. He goes, I got the, I got the Dixie Vodka people coming. We're going to have a vodka tasting thing. Oh, man. <laughs> so the Dixie Vodka people came and had a, a vodka tasting and a dinner and blah, blah, blah. And uh, I said, okay. So I, I get into that vodka tasting. And next thing you know, I, I says, I, I, I ain't going anywhere. And I stayed another night. And then, you know, it, it's just, you know, winging it with them guys is like on a whim. You know what I mean? They'll go from, you know, Kansas City to anywhere in the world. You know, they, yeah. they just... It's kind of it's a fun fun uh, fun lifestyle they lead for sure. Oh yeah, absolutely for sure. Now uh, I'm going to ask this question just because again I know I know people are sitting out, out listening to this going, okay. So the sixty four thousand dollar question is, 
You are such good friends with Tony, and I know you and I have discussed this before. I want to know, is there still any glimmer of hope that we might ever be able to get Tony Stewart into one of your super modifieds? Well, it's funny, uh, Tom, because, you know, when I saw him recently, and like I said, I hadn't seen him since before COVID. Okay. One of the first thing, you know, he's told me, he goes, I still want to do that super. He said, I still want to do it. Okay. You know, so he wants to. Now, will it happen? You know, that's a good question. Now he might be driving that dragster. He's got the SRX, you know. Yeah. He's got Eldora. I mean, he's got so much going on. He he just, you know, personally, I don't see it happening. But I will tell you that he does want to. Well, but will I mean, he make time for it? You know, and I think he, the way we left it was, you know, he needs to come up here like midweek sometime. Yes. And then we'll bring the car out and let him get in it and go. And yes. just see if he wants to. You know what I mean? Right. Exactly. Yeah. So that would be a lot of fun to see Tony. Yeah. Um, you know, he's he's obviously driven him before, he's had success with him. Um, but I don't believe he's ever raced a Swiggo and, and no. that would be, you know, as much as I'd love to see him anywhere you know or whatever i would love to see tony stewart running you know in a swiggo in the super modified yeah, top wing or fun. tail wing i don't care like just yeah. you know that would be the so you know hopefully we you know maybe we can make it happen the, the the nhra schedule is is i mean there's a lot of races but um you know hopefully that at some point i mean it would have been great you know i always think about when cup goes to the Glen, you know yeah. every year like <laughs> How do we get one or two of those folks to come to a Swiggo and jump in cars? And again, yeah. you know, there's obviously dollars involved in that. But, yeah. you know, it would be such a boost for, you know, for that night's race at a Swiggo to do that. Um, yes. You know, and Tony's no longer racing NASCAR. So if we could, you know, he would be a guy that I know the fans would love to see. I mean, probably, oh, yeah. you know, no, more he... than... Half the and, current you know, guys. Like I say, he wants to do it, but, you know, how do you make it out happen? He's, you know, you can't believe how he ping-pongs across the, the oh, country. Oh, I, I could imagine, yes. Because, I mean, can't believe he's it. got so, so much. The NHRA thing was, was amazing to me because it's like, good grief you 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 were you've got an outlaws team you've got now the drag uh, uh nhra team you've got you know you're you're you've got eldora um he's got obviously the nascar team it's like i don't know how he keeps up with all of that to all be stars yeah that's right the all-star series yeah mm-hmm. i mean um it's amazing honestly the srx uh it's amazing how he makes it all work, but yeah, it, it's amazing. It, it takes the passion that he has for the sport at all levels too. He's one of those that's never forgotten the grassroots. He is, and, and, and he just makes it happen quick. Yeah. You know what I mean? Where it takes it takes forever for somebody to even get to talk to somebody. Right. I mean, he stops he stops at mobile headquarters on the way out to uh, Vegas and makes a deal and put mobile on the dragster that week. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, because he's so connected and has so many ties with so many people that you know, people want to get on board with Tony. They they enjoy the ride. Uh, you know, like I forget which uh, there was a couple sponsors that used to sponsor some other outlaw drivers. Okay, I won't mention any names, but uh, so you know, they they sponsor this guy for so many years, and they get off that sprint car and get on with Tony and Donnie shots, and the guy you know tells me he goes, wow. 
what a difference. He goes, we love this. You know what I mean? Well, of course. He, you know, he just totally knows how, you know, to treat the sponsors. And, and, uh, and he just, he's a laugh a minute, truthfully. I mean, he's a, he's a ball-busting son of a gun. Oh, uh, I bet. Anyone around, it's, it's, he's really a funny uh, character. You know, it's just and when you see him in those moments, uh, uh, he can be, you know, across the old son of a gun, too. And I've been there, too. We so. all can. <laughs> we all, all can not all roses with that guy but uh but that's what makes him tony right yeah well and well and look i mean i think and and, and as i get older and become crustier um you know i think you you sort of i think you kind of recognize that sometimes it's it's in the moment sort of thing that that you know and people when you get where tony is People always want from you and they feel yeah, some always. sense of entitlement to have it. Like I'm a fan. I've what, you know, I deserve you to sign my, it's like people. Yeah. Oh no, I've been know, through some of that. You know I mean? Um, but I mean, the, the fun times over, overcome it. You oh, know of course. I mean? like, right. When he, the Tony Stewart foundation used to have these concerts we did in Paducah, Kentucky. And we had everybody from, yeah, everybody. Right. Uh, I, Kid Rock, uh, Montgomery Gentry. Um, oh, I can't even think of it, but everybody was there, right? And all the NASCAR guys would come, and and we were up there one year, and and uh, and after the show, we were gonna all go to the casino. I think it was a Harris Casino in that in nearby. Okay. And uh, and Tony says uh, to me, he goes, I gotta do a. I got to do a 20 question uh, interview real quick and then we'll go. Right. So, I mean, it's me, 20 Earnhardt, Casey Kane, Kid Rock. Uh, I mean, a bunch of us. And we all end up going in a bus and we go to the casino and we walk into that casino. And, you know, we're, we're me and Tony and Kid Rock was playing blackjack and they won't let anybody else play. It was just us three at the table, and of course, you know, I'm I'm sitting here with those guys playing blackjack, and the the crowd is ten deep all the way around. I bet. And I'm thinking to myself, what in the hell am I doing here? Yeah. You know. Yeah. But before we went to the casino, uh, one of the funny things Tony did, you know, to show his 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 funny personality, he said, Johnny, I got to do this twenty uh twenty question interview over the phone real quick. So he gets in there. We go into this little booth. And uh guy says, hey, Tony, he goes, how you doing? Tony says, I'm doing good. He says, you got 19 left. <laughs> yeah, he's counting <laughs> them down, right? <laughs> I mean, just like stuff like that, you know, it's just, you know, a lot of fun. Well, yeah, I, I, I can imagine it is. And that's, uh, I mean, you've, you've led a bit of a charmed life there, sir. And uh, we're, we're just happy that, um, that you're with us and you're, you're recovering. And, um, you know, we, we love the stories and we want more of them. So you're going to have to come on more and tell us more stories. So, uh, you know, we, uh, we definitely appreciate everything that you do for super modified racing and have done for a number of years. And we're excited to see what 23 brings with your series. Um, now five races and, um, you know, look forward to, uh, look forward to opening the season here, uh, in just a few short months, it seems like, and, uh, gives you a little more time to kind of fully get back on your feet and, uh, we'll be rocking and rolling before you know it, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I've been working on it. You know, I, 
actually solidified up quite a few things in the last couple of days. Oh, good. And, uh, you know, I'm still working on stuff. I had a half-hour phone call last night with corporate people. Good. And uh, there's still some outside chances, you know, more stuff happening. Good. Um, it takes time. Like I was saying, it just takes time, you know, to uh, start something new and to get somebody's yep. attention and, 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 and prove that you can do something for them. Well, we, uh, we're excited to see where it goes and uh, excited about the whole ISMA MSS unification as well. So, uh, again, John, thanks for, uh, thanks for taking some time and telling us some great stories here to start the year off right and uh, look forward to seeing what 2023 brings. Hopefully, uh, good health for you. Uh, yeah. And, you know, and, uh, yeah. I'm and, doing good. good. I'm on the treadmill every day and. And uh, I do cardiac rehab twice a week, which is very easy. It's just I'm just trying to go through the motions and make sure that this guy keeps an eye on me and yeah, and tells me you know what where where to put my heart rate on the treadmill. And so I'm trying to do a, do everything right. I've been trying to eat right and you know hope to keep going for a while. Well, good. Well, we look forward to seeing you back at the tracks this year, John. And thanks again for all that you do. That is John Nicotra. And we will be back with more of the groove right after this. Is your job sucking the life out of you? Wake up. You can do something else. Information technology. I know what you're thinking, but I'm not a math and science person. No problem and no excuses because it's not rocket science. It's my computer career. Go to mycomputercareer.edu and take the free career evaluation today. You can start your new life as an IT pro in as little as four months. Mycomputercareer.edu, that's mycomputercareer.edu. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Groove as we get ready to wrap things up with our final segment here. I want to, uh, again, say thank you to our sponsors of this show. First of all, Jeff West and the folks from IPC Indy, Richworth and the good folks from JNS Paving. And I'm going to say Sean Cathcart now the and the good folks from LaGroff's Pub and Skip's Fish Fry Mobile Unit. Okay. Uh, mobile truck, if you will. Um, so appreciate all of those folks being a part of the show and excited about what uh, we got going in 23. So let's wrap this up with what's in the number. I hope you enjoyed that interview with John Nicotra. I love me some stories and John's got a bunch. That was a lot of fun. And uh, we definitely will do that again. And if you all would like to hear more of that from John, um, feel free to drop comments here because again, if you don't share the show and you don't comment and engage with it, then, you know, I'm not going to know what you like and what you want more of or whatever. So, um, we, uh, we definitely, I thought had a, uh, a nice interview with John there. That was a lot of fun. Okay. What's in the number. Remember we've got two today to deal with one and 10. And again, <laughs> You know, this is uh, where next week we'll have next show. We'll have two and 11 and then three and 12 and four and 13 and five and 14 and six and 15. And uh, what is it? Seven and 16, eight and 17, nine and 18. And then um, we will go 19 
and then 20 and then 21. So we will have double numbers all the way till we get to the number 19. So a good, um, a good bit of the of this season actually. Okay. So (laughs) number one, um, Okay, so as most of you know, I started going to the races in 1973. So anything in the 60s for me is just, you know, third person memory or or reading in the program or whatever. Um, And in the case of the number one, I really have no idea where to go with that in the earliest days. Some of you may feel free to drop in the comments. Um, The I was trying to think about the first number one that I actually remember. And it made me think about, um, there was a, there was a number, a a car that Jim Cheney drove. And I saw this in a program. This is not, um, this would have been, I think earlier seventies. I, I want to say, and again, um, you know, the brain sometimes, uh, wants to put thing, put data together that doesn't belong together, but, I feel like there was a car and it might've been a white car that Jim Cheney drove in the earliest, maybe part of the seventies. And it had, it had a sort of red, white, and blue number one, um, on it. I don't know. Um, that's, that's sticking out as something I saw on a program once, but I might not have. So I'm going to just put that out there. Um, and y'all can either confirm or deny that, but, um, I think that was out there. And then I don't remember, I want to say that Frank Weiss, there was a guy named Frank Weiss that had a number one. And I don't, I, again, I remember, I know the Frank Weiss part is right. I don't know if he was number one or not, and I'm not sure which year, but I'm going to take a wild guess that it would have either been like 73, 74. Now, um, the first number one that I actually remember, and this is where I, this is the first place I feel like I may get myself in trouble because I cannot recall a number one at the track in 1973 when I started going. I just can't recall a number. There might have been one. I don't recall it. Um, so somebody may get me on that one. Uh there, I know Frank Weiss, again, I'm not sure if he was one, but I feel like that's the number I remember for him. But the first, the first one I'm sure of was 1974, and I think it was late in the season, maybe the last race of the year, Don McLaren showed up with that beautiful Nelson Powell purple and black car. And it had just, uh, I think it had an open cage at that point, and I don't think the top was installed on it, the little little flat top part until 75. But that was the first number one that comes to mind here for me right now. Um, and that car again, you know, we'll, we'll talk about Nelson Powell again with the two car next week, right? Um, the infamous program cover that I love so much, maybe my favorite Oswego Speedway program cover ever. Uh, but, uh, we'll get to that, but yeah, that, that, uh, that definitely was a gorgeous car. Don McLaren drove it. Then Jim Cheney drove it. Then Don McLaren drove it again. And I don't know what happened to it after that. I think it got, it might've been sold and bought back and then sold again or something. I, I don't, I don't know exactly kind of the whole, I feel like 
there was a point where that that car was sold by Powell and then bought back by Powell. But McLaren ended up, for whatever reason, at the start of 76, he they split for a time and Cheney had the one and the two and the modified number 30, which again, with the, with the louvers in the back, that car was so awesome. Um, so, you know, he had all three of those and then eventually, um, let's see what that would have been. So 76, I think was the year that, uh, McLaren came back and I think Cheney ended up in mid season going to the Oh four. I think it's, yeah, that, I'm pretty sure that's, that's how that went. Um, and so the next, let's see. Wow. See this, this number one, this is one of those sneaky numbers that, um, I feel like there were probably, I wasn't, well, let's see, hang on. So I know Weiss, if he was number one, he was in there in the early mid seventies somewhere. Um, so I don't know if there was another number one between the Powell car and the guy that I think will be forever cemented with this number at the Oswego Speedway started running it in 1978, Doug Haveron. Um, Doug, of course, that was the Champagne Roadster. Um, Doug ran from, what, 78 to 83. And so he had the one all those years. And Bentley, we all know Bentley jumped in it um, for a bit when Doug was hurt there in what year, 83, was it 83? I think it was 83 at Indy. Um, and um, let's see. Then those cars, Bally bought the older one. Um, and I'm not going to count, if you count anybody that drove the newer of the two offset number ones, I'm not going to count that because it was 01. Um, so there were a number of people we talked about that um, in an earlier show when we covered the 01. There were a number of people who drove that one, but it was always 01. Um, the only one that drove it is the one, as far as I remember, and I'm again, I'm talking about the newer of the LaProd offset cars that made its debut in 82, was uh, Doug. I think everybody else that drove it, it was 01. So, um, let's see. Bowie bought the older of the two, and uh, wasn't it uh, Jim Paternoster? Yeah, I think Jim bought the newer one um and made it 44, not the not the race master engineering Jim, right? The it was this was the Jim from where was he from Ithaca or Utica or somewhere like that and he he had had a couple of cars before that. Had that uh that twin to the Champagne 89, remember? Um so yeah, Jimmy bought it, I think, and then sold it to Denny Wheeler and then Bowley ended up with it. Um, so it kind of went around a little bit. Now, the show car that Bali had that was the five for a number of years when, uh, let's see, when, when they bought the Hevron car, that number, the show car five, which would have been what, 84? I think, yeah, 84. Um, that show car, they made the number one. And so, um, uh, let's see, gosh. Um, well, 
I think maybe the well, I don't know if I count this as a race, but Daryl Waltrip did get in it. Remember the exhibition that Bentley and Daryl raced? That was cool. Um, it. Uh, let's see. Um, George Ziggy Snyder drove it in a classic, didn't he? Wasn't that the show car? I think. Um, I remember him. I have a vision in my head of him coming off turn four and he would never let the car drift all the way to the wall. Like he sort of cut the corner a little bit. He was running a weird groove off of four. He ended up, I think he won a qualifier race or two and ended up in the classic. I don't remember how he finished, but um, yeah, Ziggy drove it. Um, Doug drove it. Hebron drove it actually, I think at least once. I think Steve Joya drove it one night when his number nine, uh, was in some peril, and I think maybe that might have even been a similar situation. Remember when, um, in 76, when Jimmy Champagne offered Steve his brand new car that even he hadn't raced in competition because Steve's car was out in the championship run. I think that's the same sort of thing that was happening. Bentley and Steve were going for a title, and Bowie offered him the one. I think um, Steve went out and finished in the top 10 with it, I believe, if I remember right. Um, wow. Who else would have driven it? Then I think there was a point where it became the O one for whatever reason. I think Dick Batchelder maybe drove it, um, as the O one, but, um, who else would have been in it as the one? I, I know there's probably a driver or two I'm missing, so I'm, I'm going to get stung on that part of it too. But as the one, I remember Ziggy, I remember uh, Doug and I mean, maybe Bentley had to drive at a time or two. I don't know as well. Cause maybe the main car was, you know, something happened, but, um, and Steve were the, the ones that I remember. And then of course, Daryl, which was, <laughs> that was the coolest thing ever. Um, and then, uh, let's see. So after that, I'm going to get stung on this too, but for some reason I want to say that, uh, what was it? Joe Grunda out of Ohio. Wasn't he one? He was either one or Oh one. And I can't remember. Cause I, I sort of feel like he ended up having to change his number a few times. And I don't remember if he changed Oh one to one or one to Oh one. Um, but I think he might've been a one and that would have been, let's see, where are we at this point? Mid eighties, right? Wow. Um, there was, um, let me think, gosh, um, I don't know if there was another number one until, um, uh, it's in the, um, what, oh, actually, wait a minute. No, there was, that was when the Graves, um, yeah, Graves racing, Freddie Graves started, uh, building mass producing the Graves chassis. And, uh, what year 80? So it would have been 88, no 80. Yeah. Cause in 87, I think the very first Graves house car driver was actually, uh, Gene Lee, right? Wasn't that a Graves? Yeah. That was a Graves house car. Wasn't it in 87? Um, and that was zero. He used the, uh, he used the, the, the Gibson family number. Right. Um, and, um, then in 88, so it would have been 88, I think, right? Because let's see, in 87, that was the year that Haveron drove for Mike Mazur in the 
61 and what was the other one? 70, no, 47, right? I think I got backwards. 47 and 61 junior and all that. And, and then, um, let's see, that was also the last year Bentley race for Bali. So yeah, in 88, Doug went over to drive for Freddie Graves in that, I think it was blue. Wasn't it? Wasn't it the, it was a blue car. And, um, and then Bentley drove for Mazer, and that started Bentley's run with Mazer, and Heveron's run with Graves lasted a couple of years. Uh, they had, what did they call that black car? What is, well, oh gosh, what with the limo? Is it the limo? Is that what they called it? Um, that was, that was the car that Doug was in. And why I remember this, I have no clue. Again, it's like, you know, I, I, I always look back. I, I always wonder how our memories work. It's like we, these little flashbacks in time and then you could forget a whole year, but yeah, but you remember this three second moment, Doug, um, that was the car, the black one, which would have been 89. I think that Doug won. were they still running semis then? I guess they were right. Um, I think it was a semi, but it could have been a heat it was a qualifying race driving one-handed and was running 16-6. I just, you know, that kind of thing. That's, if you can, if you can get around a swiggle and run 16-6 with one hand, the other hand holding, I think he was holding the car in gear is, is why that was happening. Um, you're a racer, right? So, so Dougie ran that and then, um, what Ordway, right? Didn't Ordway replace Doug and, I don't even know how long, several years. That was a several year run, I think, for Ordway in that car. Um, Let me see. And then I feel like it kind of went through uh, because there was a point where Ordway left it. And I don't know. I don't remember why. Um, Like it doesn't matter (laughs) for the purposes of this exercise. But anyways, uh, let's see. Oh gosh, didn't uh, maybe Dave Schulich perhaps? Um, and then somewhere in there, I feel like, you know, I feel like Steve Joya drove it once. Maybe that was the blue car in an Isma show. Let's see how far off I am with that. That's probably one that Larry Trinka will know. And I want to say, I think it was the blue car in an Isma show, and I think he won a heat race with it. Like Classic Weekend, maybe Isma? Was that happening back in like 88? I feel like Steve drove that once, won a classic or, or a, a, an Isma heat, like classic super nationals, whatever you call it, a heat race for one of those. Um, okay. Back fast forward. So Ordway's out of it. So maybe Dave Schulich, um, for, for a little while and probably Cliff Graves at some point, cause I know Cliff was running for the team at that point, he had the 38, but he was probably in the one, uh, for a little bit um oh boy let's see um so there was cliffy and i don't know if eddie bellinger ever ran it as the one he might have and then it, i know he ended up in it as the o2 right and then that he that was the last i think didn't he win his last actual race in that car um the last time he won a race, that was and certainly the last classic, right? What year would that have been? 93, 94? Um, let's see. 
This is where I start losing it because the 90s for me into the early 2000s because I was gone so much and it's like um, so much of it is so fuzzy. Um, Oh, boy. Um, So I don't know. Let's see. After I don't know if they even had a one once they went to the O2. I don't know if they're even the graves. I don't know that they did. So who would have been Sean Muldoon maybe? I feel like when Sean Muldoon won the championship, and I don't remember what year that would have been. Maybe it was two. Was it two thousand? Maybe two thousand one, somewhere in there. Two thousand two, somewhere early two thousands. I feel like Sean. I think it was. It might have been two thousand. Why does that ring? Why does that want to? Anyway, I think Sean won here running the number one, and I don't remember why that would have been the case. Um, Because I don't. I I want to say he was running for Mike Muldoon, but I don't know that Mike ever had a one. So I don't know, but maybe, so maybe I'm off on that. It could have been a different number for Sean, but, um, oh gosh. Um, hmm, number one, trying to think of more recent. And again, <laughs> there's probably somebody running it right now and I'm going to get shelled like I did for Jack Patrick. Um, it's just so hard now because it's, it's hard for me to, um, wow. Let's see. Do I remember any other ones? Number one, number one, number one. When Doug came back. Oh, I for, I did forget one, though. But let's see. When would this have been? Maybe the 90s? This would have been Gary Yule. Gary Yule in the Matzik car. Remember, he was. And I don't know why Skip made it one that year. Unless um, was was Didero in the three. Maybe that's why. Um Wow, how far back does that go? No, that would all the way be back in the 80s, wasn't it? Um, why wouldn't have Skip run the three on the car? He was always three. I don't know why that was the case. Um, but yeah, somewhere, um, that would have been in the 80s, right? Yeah, because it was, then they made it the three again. And that's when, gosh, who did Schillick and, and Haveron drove it? And then you got into Ritzkis and it went from there, right? Um, so yeah, so, um, but I know that Gary Ewell, when he was in, it was number one. Um, that was the Troyer car that, that Skip had, I believe. Let's see. Um, but back to, um, boy, I feel like I remember a Belfiore number one from somewhere, but I can't, I don't know. A, Be- a Belfiore chassis, number one, somewhere in in the world. I remember a one that was a Belfiore, I think, but I can't remember even who would have driven it. I don't believe it was just, uh, I don't believe it was, uh, no, I don't think it was him. Um, I don't think it, I don't think Belfiore actually drove it. I think he just built it, but I feel like I remember a number one. It was a darker color car, I want to say. Um, I don't know. Um, I'm going to just leave it at that so we can move on to 10 because we've been 20 minutes already on this one. Uh, so so I'll leave that. Of the, I mean, <laughs> y'all can have fun with me on because uh, I'm sure I missed a few uh, at some point. And if you want to be technical, Freddie Graves drove the blue car number one too, but he just practiced it. I don't think he ever actually raced it. He warmed it up one night when Dougie was late for a race, I believe. Um, and that might have been one of the last times Freddie actually ever got in a car. Um, that would have been, so that would have been the blue and that would have been going back in the eighties. Right. So let's move on to 10. Now, (laughs) 
This one I can be somewhat sure of, right? Um, the, f- the first 10 at Oswego Speedway had the word pins after it. Nolan Swift. Um, now, uh, again, um, there, there was a, a point where I think you had in the modified days of the, what was it, the 50s or v- maybe very early 60s before they went super, there was, wasn't there an A and a B class? And so, I mean, somebody might have had a 10 that was in the other division, okay? But I'm just going to, for the moment, you know, I'm going to focus on supers. Nolan Swift. Now, but even with even with saying that, Swift was the first, he, he may have been the first, uh, first driver owner or driver owner of the 10, but there were other drivers in his car, right? Um, and, and I, uh, I believe if we go, if we were to go look up somewhere in the very late sixties or perhaps 1970, I want to think that Kenny Andrews actually drove for Nolan Swift one night. Now somebody can Research that will either be, I'll either be, obviously I got a 50, 50 shot here, but I believe, and I think he hit the wall with a car. <laughs> now I don't know if it's because something broke or whatever, but I think I remember a program from maybe 69 ish or 70 ish somewhere in there. Kenny Andrews in the car. Um, and in the wall. Um, let's see. Uh, Ronnie Wallace, obviously. Well, let, well, hang on. So, Nolan Swift, because Nolan started, I think, wanting to retire in the early 70s. So the first time um, that he, I think, tried to retire was 72. And Bobby Stelter drove the car. And it was a new car, and it was problematic. And um, Nolan started in it. And that was, and this will tie into, and we've, we've, we, we're going to get back to our 72 rewind as well. Um, we got a number of other programs to go through here, but in the, the, um, the, the uh, second or third week of the year, um, Swifty and Jeff Bodine crashed together. And that was in Swifty hurt his back. And then he, that's when he put Bobby Stelter in the car and the car was problematic. It didn't handle well. And it, um, eventually Swift took back the driving chores. And then we all know how that went, right? (laughs) He got to the classic and won it. Um, then he retired again and put Ronnie Wallace in the car. And, um, for, for the end of the 72 season, then into 73. And then, uh, so Ronnie drove the car, the first X number of races of the year. I don't remember how long. And then Swifty got back in it. And here's the thing. Now I, um, I have no, and this is just sort of a personal note and it, and it's now that I look back at it, I don't know. I want, I believe I have always believed that once I started going to the track in 73, I didn't miss a race that year or, you know, subsequent years for a long time to like 86. Um, but I think, 
I think I'm wrong because either I either I was there when Nolan Swift took the car back over and then eventually he won a race that year in it. And I was either not there that night or I just flat don't remember. And I can't believe that I wouldn't because, <laughs> um, you know, my dad was a huge Swift fan and so was my sister. So um, I think I would remember that, but who knows? I mean, um, so I'm not sure if I was there or not, but I'm almost, I'm 99.9% sure that Swifty did get a win that year. And I think that would have been his last feature win at Oswego ever. Um, I don't think he won another race after that. He had a race in 74 where he went to a photo finish with Norm Mackworth, who was in ironically the older Swift car, the one that uh, he raced from the late sixties to like 71. Um, but he, uh, he had a bunch of seconds and top fives, but he never, I don't think he ever won a race after that. I think his last win was 73. Um, so then um, that year, uh, Jim Cheney drove it one night. Um, let's see. In 74. Now this is where I have fun with, with, with Nolan because in 74, um, Jimmy Champagne, he never raced it, but I remember him hot lapping the car in 74. And then he hot lapped his last car, Nolan's final car in 77. He took it out. But so let's see, 74 Swifty drove. And then in 75, Swifty, that was another one of those years for Nolan where he and Denny Wheeler had that just bone crunching crash in the Port City race that year in turn one. Um, and one, I think it was turn one. Uh, and then Swift got in another crash, I think, in the middle of the year. Like he just, it was one of those years that you have where you just can't keep things together. And I think because of that, that car, I feel like that car was really fast at times that year. And if he could have not had all the crashes, cause they were running like for third, I think he and Denny were where they crashed in it. And if he had been able to, if he, if that had all not happened, I feel like maybe Nolan could have gotten some wins in 75. Cause that was the year that we had like, I think 11 maybe different feature winners or, or, you know, nine, 10, 11 in that number. And several drivers got their first win. And, and I do remember, uh, there was a night when Warren Conium drove the car that year, uh, and ended up, I think something happened in the con the motor went or something happened and, and, and Warren couldn't start the feature, which was too bad. Cause I would have liked to have seen what he could have done in that car. Um, and then at the end of the year, the last, I think it was the last race. And here's why I remember this two reasons. One, it was the coldest race I ever remember at Oswego. The last race of 1975. I think it was the last one or one of the last couple. Cause Oswego used to run into October. And so I believe it was the final race of that year. Um, I remember being in the grand, it was, it was just awful. It was super cold. Um, the heaters, remember the old heaters they used to have at the grandstand? Some of the younger fans that are listening to this show won't know what we're talking about because I think they've been long gone for a while. But 
but they used to have heaters in the grandstand and they would they would turn them on 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 cold nights and boy um wasn't that a luxury right um and i remember it was the first time i ever tried hot chocolate that now <laughs> you know again the stupid things you remember um but i that's one of the things i remember because i remembered you know that wow this is great right um and it was like gosh i don't even know maybe it was was it even a dollar back then <laughs> 50 cents or something and uh i think i had two dad my dad was there that night i think he bought me two but it was it was oh my gosh it was cold swifty led a bunch of that race in somehow in traffic or something or maybe it was a restart the i think the car was was like he couldn't he couldn't turn it and and i think both don mclaren and warren conian went under him that was the only race don ever won with the uh the beautiful Wimblad number one there's a nice tie-in um and uh, i think warren got second and geez i don't know maybe ronnie walt did did ronnie or did swifty get third maybe swifty got third or ronnie passed him and got third i don't know i don't remember but that was and that was also when ronnie because he beat jimmy and won the the championship that year um and and uh yeah that was i just i've never been that cold (laughs) i mean the 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 other one the other night that sticks out that came close to that was when they used to do the race of champions which you know bless that race but by then when you had like 76 different classes running and you know, it would get over at like two fifteen in the morning after the bars had closed. Um, I mean, and that was, I think, was a deal where it might have rained a little bit, and it was, I was awful. And at the end of that race, um, geez, that was it had to be at least one or one thirty in the morning when it got over. It it was like in the thirties or forties or something. It, that was also really bad. Um, but but that race at the end of seventy five that Don won in the one car. Uh, that Swifty led a bunch of was maybe that was I think that was because it, it was after that Swifty sold that car to Dave Snyder and 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 of course Bentley came back in '76 with it as the '77 uh, car and then Swift built that new car and he just never that car just never worked his finest hour was the '77 classic with that car he. he um, we've talked about this a number of times on the show and I'll talk about it a number more. Um, cause I just, I just loved it. You know, knowing you just knew that, you know, it was sunset for him. Right. And, um, once again, didn't qualify well, didn't make the time trial cut takes it home. I think he, I think he added like eight inches to the chassis. I think he made it like eight inches longer or something like that. And came back on Sunday for, to run back when we used to have the, the, the heat races, the wacky races, as a lot of people would call them. Last chance qualifiers back then, I think they were heats and then the semifinal, right? We didn't have the Bud Light B-Main yet, I don't think. Um, and Swifty ended up, uh, he won, I think he won both the heat and the semi, if I'm not mistaken. And he ended up starting like, what would that put him, maybe 31st or something? He ended up 7th. And I just remember him driving around the outside of so many cars in that race my mother was with me that night and she was just amazed she kept saying look at swifty go look at swifty go and um it was 
it was like vintage Swift. And and I don't know that I ever thought during the race that he would have, you know, he was going to have a chance to win it. But man, it was just cool to see him run so well. And 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 uh, that was the last classic he ran because he the next year he brought it back. Um, and that was the year that he went to the full face helmet. I remember, which was really interesting. And, um, now somewhere in the, I think it was in 76 or 77, somewhere in there, Jimmy winks had warmed up the car. And I think Jimmy drove it at Thompson. Now I'm also, I'll go, I'll go back. I know some of you are going, wait, you missed a driver back in. Okay, hang on. I'll get to the rapid Roman in a minute. I, I'm saving that for the end. So, um, Jimmy Winks drove it at Thompson, uh, in like, I think it was maybe 76 or 77. He ran it. And I think Bentley might've run it at Thompson actually, um, for some reason in, 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 uh, one of the races. I don't, I don't know for sure, but I think Bentley might've run that car once too. But um, I'm talking the final car that Swift retired out of. So he came back with the car in 78. was a year. He had a full-face helmet, which was interesting. Um, and he just, I think it was the Port City Blue Motor. I think he had had, I think he had something happen on Saturday and had a light crash and came back on Sunday and blew the motor um, and never drove again. And I just... Gosh, I know, I know it's redundant, but man, I just, it just felt like it just felt wrong. That just felt like the wrong way for Nolan Swift's career to end. You know, it was, it, it and I mean, obviously it was his decision and probably, you know, at that, by that point, he just, he was out of gas. He'd had enough, you know, um, and that was when Ron Gapsky, uh, Jim, Graves, Groves, um, Groves. I, I think it was Groves might've been Graves. Jim Graves or Groves came out of the grandstand, bought the car for Ron Gapsky. Ron did not have a good first couple of outings with it. Um, painted it green. Uh, and, um, wasn't it green? Didn't he paint it green? Now, see, this is where I may be because I'm trying to think because there was a point where it was green and I remember him like sort of tipping it up on his side and, 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 um, yeah, Ron just, it, I, again, God rest his soul. Ron just, just went home to, to be with the Lord, but, uh, yeah, he, he just struggled with it. Right. And, um, that. So he made, he took, he, he put his 51 on it in, in Gapsky or in uh, Chuck Siprich, actually, there was a, was it Port City? Maybe, uh, one of the years, 79, 80, uh, Ronnie Wallace had driven it a few times. And then, um, gosh, um, Chuck, now let's see, I think, I think. Ron Wallace drove it for Gapsky a few times. And then Chuck Siprich ran the one, didn't he run that car in a port city race? And I remember the, and again, I, I don't, again, the things you remember, but I, I can remember being in the grandstand and I think probably only because like where, 
where Buckner, where the 36 was pitted was like directly in front of me. I could, you know, and so they backed the 51 into the, his pit. And, um, I can remember that, um, man, they, I just remember like this flurry of activity. Like they, they basically rebuilt the car (laughs) in the, in the pit. Um, you know, obviously, you know, probably Chuck wanted some changes or whatever, but, um, the car was fast when he went out with it. And, and, uh, you know, he, uh, I don't know if he, I don't think he finished the race, but I think he was up inside the top 10. He might've even been, maybe he got to the top five, but, um, gosh, what happened after that? So then, um, then, uh, gosh, who was it? Bought it. Somebody bought it. I think somebody else bought it. And Ronnie Wallace drove it a little bit. And I think Ron Jr. Wasn't it the 67? Yeah, I think it was the 67. And Ronnie Ronnie Jr. drove it a time or two. And then Ronnie Madison had a really cool classic run with it. Um, qualified up right up near the front, like 7th or 8th or 10th or somewhere in that area. That This would have probably been what? Was it early 80s by now? Um and then, uh, oh boy, um, I don't know what happened to it after that. I don't know where it went. Uh, I don't know where Swifty's final car is. Um, it would be nice if it was still somewhere where it could get restored just because it was Nolan's last ride, right? Um, but yeah, uh, to go back to, I, I wanted to save because the back in the 70s, 70, let's see, three, four, five and i'm i was literally just like looking at paint schemes in my head right this is <laughs> with swifty this is how you knew what year it was because every year was a different paint scheme um in seven it was the end of 75 they took the car to thompson richie evans was going to drive it and about well sometime during the the race day they had a modified, I believe it was a modified or a street stock, something, something other than a super. One of the other classes had a car that stuck a throttle and um, somehow ended up in the pits. And it it struck John Roberts, who was on the Swift crew, and it killed him. And um, again, I'm I'm this is a third hand because people that were there in the program is basically my sources for this. And, and at some point that Richie told Nolan that, you know, if they wanted to, you know, if they wanted to park the car, withdraw, you know, that was fine, whatever, you know, they, and I think, um, I think it was decided they would go try to win it for John and Holy cow. Um, I, if I could interview Richie today, I, I would, I would, would just, you know, basically to me, the greatest Richie Evans moment had to be. And I, if, if I could have only been there, you know, I've always, I've always thought I was born about 20 years too late, but, um, but if I could have, if I could have been there for that, um, that had to be one of the most emotional um, because from what I'm told, he just went out in the race and just absolutely, <laughs> you know, just crushed the field. Like it, he, 
you know, it was as if he had an Indy car and everybody else was driving, you know, trikes. Um, I think he led every lap of, I think they split the race. Didn't they used to split the race that fall? I spread, didn't they split that in half? And I think he, I think that he, uh, I think he led both, right? I don't know if he lapped the field, but, but like he just devastated everybody. And Richie had never raced a super before. As far as I know, um, I think that he and Maynard Troyer actually hot lapped somebody's car. And it might even have been the old, <laughs> the old freaking uh, 13 car, Roy Murphy car. I remember reading somewhere early, early, early in the seventies at Lancaster, maybe that, and I think it might've been that car or maybe uh gosh, I don't even know what it would have been, but I, I swear there was a car that, that they both hot lapped and, um, but, I don't think Richie'd ever raced one, but oh my gosh. I mean, that it it's it's tragic that that happened in 1975 because if there was ever a a moment that I would have wanted social media to go nuts over, that would have been it. That would have been it. Anybody I I mean, I'd love to if if you were there, if you were there at that race and you watched it, I would love for you to comment. I would love for you to to kind of talk about that, what that was like to see. Because, you know, to me, it's moments like that that make our sport what it is. And, um, you know, if anybody has pictures, like good quality as, as it goes, you know, back then, right? <laughs> If anybody has real clear pictures of Richie, you know, that because I would even consider that's a magazine story. If if somebody was there that can help me to kind of recount that day and that the history of that, I would love to write about that for the magazine. Um, love to do that story. That that was just one of those moments in time, right? And that's why I saved it for, for the end of the Swift part, because um there, there, I mean, of course, you know, Ronnie, Ronnie Wallace did a great job in the 10 car again, you know, Swifty couldn't get the feedback. They couldn't quite figure out how to win. You know, the, <laughs> Jimmy was, you know, Jimmy was doing Jimmy things by then. Right. Um, 73 Ronnie, I think did win a few shows outside of the swigger, but he never won at a swigger with the car, you know, Stelter. I mean, all the drivers that Swift had were, you know, Richie, I think was the only well, no, because I think, again, I think Bentley Warren might have won a couple shows because he drove. That's a good point, too. Bentley actually drove. I believe if I remember in Bentley's book, Bentley said he drove the old that Swift car in the late 60s, the one that Bowie ended up buying that became the Flying Five in the, what, 73 for Don McLaren, 72 for Don McLaren, and then Norm Macrath was in it when I started going in 73, but that car, I think Bentley said he drove that car and maybe won a race somewhere with it. Um, and, um, and then Bentley did drive, I guess, technically, I think Bentley had the 10 on it when he won that race at Fulton in 76. That was before they put the card table on top, right? Uh, I think it was still in the 10 livery then. So I suppose you can say that Bentley, but the, I, of all the, the, the non, <laughs> Of all the drivers that drove for Swifty, none of them had a performance like that. Richie Evans showed at that point that, 
And then, of course, if you fast forward about 10 years, that heat race, I just watched this again not too long ago, too. That heat race that he won in the Matzik 3. And there's, that's right, because that was the Troyer car. Um, and what was that? 85, I think it would have been by then, right? Or 86, somewhere. Um, maybe it was no 85, right? Because Richie, he was killed that year, right? Um, that was about 10 years later. He, he once again, he gets in the super and that three wide last lap, three wide nips Bellinger and Muldoon at the line. That heat race is one of the greatest heat races, in the history of the track. Um, so Richie was known for being spectacular and, um, boy, he, (laughs) he could flat drive a car. Um, and, and again, I, I could do a whole show with Richie Evans stories. Um, just things I've seen, let alone have some guest on that. I mean, I need to get maybe Bones Bosher or something because he wrote, I think he wrote Richie's book, didn't he? Um, need to get somebody on and just tell some Richie stories. We, I know that this is a super modified show, but I've always said that I, anything that races at the Oswego Speedway is fair game, right? So modifieds uh, certainly are. And Richie was, Richie had, <laughs> Richie ran a super, what, maybe three times in his life, but holy cow, he, he, he made some history in ways that other drivers who raced for 20 years didn't, right? He, he just, that's the kind of driver Richie Evans was. But that uh, I would love to hear from somebody uh, message me on Facebook or through the the uh, Inside Groove Facebook page um, or, you know, send me an email, Tom at SteeringWillNation.com. Um, you know, but I'd love to hear from somebody who was there at that Thompson race in 75. And if I can if I can get enough information and get enough research and enough, you know, accounts together, I would write that. I would write a story for the magazine because I think that that race deserves that. And um, that just, that was incredible. It was just incredible. Unbelievable. So um, let's see. We've, wow, we've been, (laughs) we've been a long time on Swifty's 10 parts. So after Swifty retired, we had Mike Ordway, right? Wasn't he the 10 when, was he the 10? Well, I guess they made it the 90 or was he, gosh, I swear he was a number 10. Wasn't he, when he first came to Oswego, the orange car. Um, and here again, I'm probably going to miss, let's see. So there was, um, Ordway then. And again, I think Joe Grunda might have had to run a 10, right? And Jamie now, okay, hang on. So now, I'm getting ahead of myself. So I think, um, hmm. again, sometimes I feel like before they retired the number, I think there was a, t- a couple times when like a one would have to be 10 or something. Um, golly, Bill. See, um, Ordway, I remember. And I don't. <sighs> I think Jamie Moore, when he when he first bought the Champagne car from McLaughlin, from uh, well, Norm Foster, right? Um, was he ten? I want to say he was ten. Um, ran it as the ten, um, and then uh, we had the. Um, then Joe McGarry brought his car out. Now, again, I 
I also remember that, that Jamie was 40 with that old champagne car. So I don't, I, I think he might've been 10 and then 40 and then he maybe kept 40. I don't know. I don't remember, but, um, it, again, we could do a whole show on cars. Jamie Moore drove, right? <laughs> Jamie still has the record, by the way, for the longest inside groove interview ever. Um, and right now I think that was also the longest show. But I think the I think I did one not too long ago that came close, but still didn't break it. But Jamie's still the longest interview because I think his interview was three hours. But anyway, um, then th- there was a point where Joe McGarry, who who worked with Swift the last year or two that Swifty raced, Joe McGarry built a car, and I think, oh boy, this is another area. Somebody's going to get me. I think maybe Dave McKnight junior was the first driver that he had and then they they split and warren conium got in it and this would have been 87 because this was the car obviously conium drove it for gosh i don't know how many weeks it didn't seem like that many i seem to remember maybe two or three at the most before classic and then ended up winning the classic and retiring and that was with the 10 um so uh, then it, it see Mike Muldoon. I know drove that car a bit and Jamie, Jamie Moore drove that. I think too, a little bit. I think he drove for McGarry at one point, or maybe Jamie, was he the first one that drove? I don't remember, but whoever drove it before Conium that I think was the first and then Conium. And I think Jamie was in it for a bit. And, um, and again, I'm going to lose the order here, but the 10, I think, um, I think Mike Muldoon and maybe AJ Michaels, perhaps did AJ ever drive that car? Um, I feel like I'm missing one or two. Um, Jamie might've driven it, you know, like in two different stints. Cause <laughs> I think Jamie drove most of the cars in the pit area at some point at that current time. Um, he was, he was kind of the Gary Albritton of that period, right? Where he would just, um, and that was awesome. I love that about Jamie. Um, and then I think, was it after that, that they retired the number? I don't, uh, trying to think who else might've had one, but it, it, there was that point where they retired both the eight and the 10. And, uh, so I think McGarry might've had the last number 10. At Oswego, and and again, if I'm wrong, just throw in the comments. But um, yeah, that was that was those were fun. Th- those were fun times. Um, I probably missed a driver or two in McGarry's car because he had a number of them, but I think I got most of them. And that was a fast car, and almost everybody that drove it did well with it. Um, so there you go. There's your one, and there's your ten, and the ten is now retired. Uh, and you know that's cool. I mean, the eight has been retired too for a while. The, um, they kind of allowed, uh, Max McLaughlin to run it when Max made his super modified starts a couple of years back, because obviously a tribute to his dad his number's always been, you know, crazy eight. So they, they allowed him to do it. Um, and, uh, that was nice. I'm not, you know, retiring a number is in racing. I, I I understand in other sports, I mean, you got 53 players on a football team and there's 99 numbers, right? So if you retire, you know, half a dozen of them or so, 
then you still got plenty for everybody to use in racing. It's kind of wide open, isn't it? So, um, you know, I've never been, I think it's great. I mean, I'm not saying it was bad to retire eight and 10. It's kind of nice, but, um, I've never, uh, I've never thought it was, you know, I mean, you always get the number controversies, right? Just like in NASCAR, a three is Dale's number. Austin shouldn't be using it. Well, it was Childress's number first and actually NASCAR owns all the numbers. You know, I don't think, I think sometimes people think the drivers or the owners own the numbers. NASCAR owns all of that (laughs) and they tell you what you can and can't do. Um, you know, when NASCAR should have retired, well, whatever, you know, (laughs) I'm just not, you know, the 43 is still going and Richard is the sports King. And, you know, now it's not even petty GMS anymore. It's legacy motor club, which when to me feels like, you know, a group of, um, like Jaguars or Porsches at, you know, Simone, uh, at uh, Sonoma or some, you know, Laguna Seca doing lapping days. You know, Legacy Motor Club feels to me like up, upper end sports cars rather than NASCAR, but it's kind of where we're going in it. So, um, so that's what that is. So anyways, uh, enjoy the comments. And again, um, I, I am very serious about this. If, if you were there... In 1975 at Thompson, and you have like a, a, a clear memory of the day. Um, I would love to hear from you. Don't you don't have to put all the details in the comments. Just DM me. But I would like to do something for the magazine because I love for you know the the larger group of race fans. I'd love to to be able to uh, put that out there and share that. That's that's a story that transcends just like the Jimmy Champagne story I did the first issue of the magazine the uh, next issue is coming out in march and that i would i would love to if not that one then the following one i'd love to put that story in there because i i i'd love to write a story about that but i wasn't there and don't have enough beef and i would need some really good pictures too but uh yeah that's um so that that was to me one of the the great moments in super modified and probably short track racing history to be honest Okay, so that uh, takes us to the end of another show. And uh, I, again, thank you guys. Uh, Good to be back in 23. We've got a couple of big shows coming up um, and looking forward to that. And new community on uh, the Magic Interactive platform is just about ready to open. So we're going to get that going too here in the next week or so, two weeks. Um, And we've actually got, we've had a development with that that's going to make our involvement in the platform even bigger. Um, so we'll be talking about all that, but if you haven't subscribed to the magazine steering wheel nation, it's a quarterly print and digital magazine. Um, next issue comes out in March. Make sure you subscribe steeringwheelnation.com and just go subscribe. It's 30 bucks for the year and you, you, you get, you'll be in our, our community on the magic platform too. And we're, we're going to have a bunch of exclusive content in their shows and, and other types of content. And uh, we're going to have some VIP opportunities for some races upcoming and all of that kind of stuff. So we're working on a bunch of stuff for that. We've been, you know, I I didn't want to just sort of open it and like, here it is. And there's not much there. I wanted to, we're also working on a transition, not fully, but adding video to, um, and uh, that's part of the the platform offering. We're going to do some live audio, live video over the course of the year on the platform we got a free and a subscriber community. Um, but uh, if you subscribe to the magazine, $29.95 a year, 
four issues, print and digital, plus um, a bunch of content that uh, we'll have over the course of the year in the community and uh, some other cool opportunities that you'll have because you're a subscriber too. So go subscribe, steeringwellnation.com. And the subscription is right at the top of the homepage. So we will uh, be back next week with another Inside Groove. Until then, I'm Tom Baker. Thanks for listening. Have a safe weekend, everybody. So long. You've been listening to Inside Groove, powered by IPC Indy, creating performance parts and solutions for the automotive, aerospace, and communications industries. Find them on the web at www.ipcindy.com. Inside Groove is a Race Chaser Media production. For more exciting and passionate motorsport content, follow Race Chaser Media on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube, and visit racechasermedia.com. The opinions expressed by our guests are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff, management, affiliates, or marketing partners of Race Chaser Media. No part of this show may be reproduced in any manner without the expressed written consent of Race Chaser Media. Thank you for listening.